Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. I am absolutely thrilled to have our guest in here for this week, Dan Hughes, the head coach of the Seattle Storm, uh, WNBA champion, two-time WNBA coach of the year. Uh, but before we get to Coach Hughes, uh, we would like to, of course, recognize our sponsor for the podcast, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSACchiro.com. That's K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Or give them a call at 402-964-0300. Uh, be sure to let them know that when you stop in, a pen and a napkin sent you. Uh, follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter feed, so be sure to follow us there. Uh, obviously, if you're listening, you're uh, either on iTunes or SoundCloud. So download, rate, and review the pod five stars so that we can get the word out, gain momentum in our ratings, so we can reach out to as many coaches as we can and help them hone their craft. And last but certainly not least, if you have any questions, any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, again, just completely thrilled uh, this morning. Uh, not Well, actually this afternoon. We've crossed over into the afternoon, Coach, um, to have uh, Dan Hughes, like I said, uh, two-time WNBA Coach of the Year, uh, the head coach of the 2018 WNBA Champions uh, was slated to go to the Olympics this summer um, until things were postponed. Um, I imagine that's just a rain check, isn't it, Coach? If we run in 2021, you'll be part of the staff there? Uh, yes, I am. I'm uh, looking forward to that. Just pray things progress that uh, we, we can realize in 2021. Yes, absolutely. So, um, so. Coach, I, I hope everything's going well. I believe you said you're in Ohio right now, just kind of waiting out the, the, the crisis here. What's What have you uh, heard? Uh, we're all anxious to watch live sports, and I'm sure you know, you'd know you be right in the, at the beginning of your season right now. What's kind of been the, the word as far as the WNBA season and what they think they might be able to do? Well, to be honest with you, it's mostly been wait and see. Um, people planning scenarios and waiting to see if the opportunity will be there to, to realize them. And uh, just like most of the pro sport leagues, just not quite there yet. You know, you, uh, you hope that things evolve to a point that uh, you can get a little bit of a view of how, how we would do it, but just not there yet. Yeah. And I, and I think it almost seems like everybody's, waiting for the first group to really step out and do it in a team sport situation. You know, you get some individual sports like golf and NASCAR that have stepped out there and put their, their, their foot in the water a little bit, put their toe in the water. Uh, and now it's like, you know, baseball, football, basketball, though, uh, soccer, uh, you know, the German, the German league is going, uh, but you know, everybody's kind of waiting for that first group to kind of go out there and kind of test the water is, is that kind of your read in some ways as well yeah and i think you what you've got is you've got leadership just wanting to make sure the time is right mm -hmm. and uh I'm, I'm quite honestly uh where i'm at in my career and where uh you know i i would rather they be a little late than a little early yeah uh, to the to the party so to speak and uh take care of the players health yeah yeah, we'll we'll never know if we went too late, um, you know, and and uh, you know didn't didn't uh, you know we we were we we took too long and and we could have gone earlier, but we'll know, definitely know if we went too early, you know, and, and if we got something screwed up, and I think that's the way we have to look at it. So, um, coach, I I, I I'm, I'm so excited here. Uh, you've, you've coached more games than anybody in WNBA history. Again, you're, you're, you've been selected to be an assistant with the Olympics, just a, 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 a storybook career. Um, but you can you came from pretty humble beginnings. Uh, you went to a small college, uh, some of your stops along the way, uh, Mount Union College, and correct me if I'm wrong with any of this. Uh, you were a high school coach for a good stretch of time. 
uh, Baldwin Wallace College, uh, the University of Toledo, uh, a, a lot of different places along the way here. Uh, what are some of the, the the greatest lessons that you learned? How is how has your journey shaped you as a basketball coach? Well, we coaches have a sense of immediacy about us. You know, I mean, we want things to happen right now. You know, that's just kind of how we're built. I certainly was built that way. But what I have learned is later is often greater. Uh, you know, things didn't happen quickly for me. Things didn't happen easily for me. Uh, it, you know, maybe through the first 20 years in the profession, you know. and uh, But what it did, when I did get the opportunities where it's your program, and your things uh, that you're responsible for, I think I was ready. And as frustrating as it was, a lot of my friends got jobs before me. You know, I was Mm -hmm. a high school coach, and I had been a head coach. So I kind of, I had that beginning point. But then I went into college. I was an assistant for 16 years and and couldn't get a head job uh, on the men's side, Mm -hmm. to be honest. And, uh, but what it did was it, taught me an awful lot, taught me an awful lot, and I learned an awful lot from other people, and then all of a sudden, you know, I become an interim coach uh, at Charlotte, and I got like 20 games to make my mark, (laughs) well, you know, I mean, as I look back, if if those 20 games don't go very well, I'm probably not talking to you today, Yeah, I'm probably, probably, I don't know what would have happened in my career, but I think what happened was that all those years and all those people who helped influence me, when the moment was there, I think I was ready for it. And, and so sometimes, you know, I, I, I look and say, you know, it's a blessing that that maybe things didn't happen at a pace that I wanted them to. And uh, because here I am, 65, I just turned 65 and I'm still coaching. And, and uh, so that that's, that's one of the lessons that I talk to people a lot about when I speak is just – the ability to kind of enjoy where you are and understand later is often greater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we get so impatient, and and you know, Patino calls it the microwave culture, and and uh, you know, we're we're going through this right now with our country, where some people are so anxious just to get back to normal that you know, let's maybe yeah. just wait a little bit longer. And the the virtue of of waiting and waiting until that time is right is 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 sometimes a big blessing as you said, that maybe I, maybe I wasn't ready for this. Maybe there's a reason why this opportunity didn't open up until it did when it did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you, when you stepped in, what was, you you referred to your, uh, interim stretch. You had, you had 20 games to kind of prove yourself. What was that experience like? Basically, you know, I, a lot of coaches get a job in the off season. That's the way it usually happens. But in, in your prof- or at, at your level of the profession, you occasionally run into these situations where it literally your role literally changes overnight, and you have twenty four forty eight hours before you jump into it. Uh, what was what was that uh, experience like for you, uh, going from that very uh, very quick transition? Yeah, you you expressed it pretty well. You know, I, I had. The WNBA started, and I had been in the WNBA for a little over a year, and I was learning the, the league and learning the players. And uh, we were in Charlotte. I was with uh, the Charlotte team, and we had gotten off to a slow start, and we had played in Cleveland, which is, is odd because that's honestly where I got my first full-time head job in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. But um, – I get a phone call after the, we had lost uh, a game that night, uh, and I get a call from kind of the managing person within the organization telling me they were going to make a coaching change, and they wanted me to, to coach the team, you know, starting tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, anyway, you know, you're like, it, it, it's a very mixed feeling because yeah. you're also part of the staff that wasn't doing well enough, mm-hmm. you know. And I always, as an assistant, shared in shared in the in the wins and shared in the losses, you know, in mm-hmm. those situations. But all of a sudden, now it's mine, and we're flying to Washington 
not even going to have a practice. And then we're going to play in Washington in another day. And, uh, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, you know, you, you're putting a team on the floor you haven't even had a practice with yet. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that was yours. And, but I got a piece of advice. We returned home to Charlotte and we had an opportunity for a day, one day, one day of practice. And when I took over, what they did, they kind of reshuffled the organization at uh, Charlotte. And uh, the, the GM of the Charlotte Hornets was a man named Bob Bass. And Bob yep. Bass, if you travel basketball circles, you know he was a highly respected basketball man out of Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. he had been uh, a very successful GM in a lot of situations where he just he, he made things work. Well, anyway, uh, they, the, the owner at that time wanted him to oversee the WNBA franchise. Well, he's, he's a GM in the NBA. He, he's got zero amount of time. But... What, what helped me was he said, okay, I'll help out, but, you know, let me name Dan Hughes and I'll, I'll work with him. And what Bob did with me, when I got back home, he called me and he said, you do whatever you got to do running. You know, if you need me, you let me know, but you, you take care of this. Okay. okay? Yep. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because I got to know him because. I would, uh, our training facility was shared between the WNBA and the NBA. Mm-hmm. And I, I would come in early back in the tape of, B, back in the days of VHS. <laughs> your listeners are like that. And I would come in early and I'd get my workout in and I'd put a tape in and I'd watch either our team or an opposing team we were going to play. And he came in early and did that. And that's how he got to know me, yeah. to be honest with you. And, yeah. but anyway, uh, to, 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 to your point, the only thing after he told this to me was I said, listen, I, you know, there's a couple things I'd like to do differently. Uh, and I got one day of practice. Now, when you come from a high school background and you come from a college background, you know, there's a building process that yep. just kind of built into you. Mm-hmm. And when you really adapt to the pro style, you kind of throw that out the window and you you do what you got to do within the time you got. And mm-hmm. he said to me, well, you've got one day. I'd make the best of it if I was you. Mm-hmm. And that has served me so well through through my career. Mm-hmm. And it's almost 20 years now in the pro level. And it has served me so well because that's the world coaching older players and coaching uh, people with experiences like like professionals have. And so I did. I, I, I did all I could. We went down to Orlando, and uh, we got a win. Now, I, I was blessed. Uh, I was blessed. My point guard was Don Staley. Yep. Now, Don, Don Staley is now the Olympic coach that I am a part of her staff. But she was my point guard and an Olympian and uh, just a, 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 a tremendous influence on the playing court. And if you look at my 20 years in the – in the WNBA, I have had an arsenal of point guards that are second to none. Susie McConnell serial followed it up and all the way down the road with great ones all the way clear to Sue Bird's my point guard now. So, you know, I've, I've had a blessed path of having leadership within the team. And, and that's kind of where I was fortunate. You know, the, the players played hard. And we became successful and went to the Eastern Conference Finals that year. Uh, and then it opened the door for me to be hired by Cleveland. I went back to Ohio, where I'm from, and where we had a home. And my daughter was uh, so my daughter could graduate from mm-hmm. high school as well. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the track of how I I got into being a head coach. And now I'm I'm 20 years down the line. Yeah. What were as as you went into that that first practice and that first game. What were the one, two, three things that you felt like it was important for you to prioritize during that transition period? Well, I'm a little different in my view of offense, and um, I, I defensively, I think I make sense to people quicker uh, because I, I I look at things from a defensive side, mm-hmm. and I wanted our team to be better defensively. So I'm sure. I went back to just fundamentals. I went back to closeouts and stance on the ball and, and, uh, you know, 
we could uh, play from. And I, I remember doing that. The other thing I did offensively was um, I'm a little more about, you know, I, I, I use sets or actions or plays or whatever you want to call them uh-huh. to create opportunities for penetration or play. And I don't like dictating exactly how it's going to end. I kind of like spacing and ball movement and good decision makers with the ball. And, and there's a little bit of freedom that comes with my style. And at first, players are, it's confusing to them because they don't know what to do with it. But then at some point, I think it becomes a, a trust factor that they, they know I have in them. And it, it lets the game, to me, play to a, a natural finish as opposed to me trying to program everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, giving that individual um, creation, that the opportunity to create yeah. on their own and that freedom to do that, uh, yeah. that, that, is, that is such a valuable tool that you can give to your players, don't you think? I do. Yep. I do. I'm, and I'm a firm believer in that. And then... You know, there are times, and, and there's a, there, there, there's a, you, you have to have a trust in your players. And I've had uh, the opportunity to be involved in drafting them, which is really nice. I've, I've also been on the side of, especially in high school, where you, you make do with what you have. But what I, I have been able to do is draft players that pass the ball well, that, that understand how to throw it to the right people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that trust is, is usually rewarded because they have shown examples of being able to move the ball. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, uh, that helps you look a, a lot smarter than what you really are. Uh, I've been uh, in that situation absolutely. as well too. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, your, your longest tenure was with uh, San Antonio and you were there for basically a decade, a change, a little less, a little bit more. Um, but you also happen to be there not only with your job, but I know how closely uh, the WNBA and the NBA do work together in a lot of a lot of ways. And you happen to be at at the right place, at the right time, where you were the, the 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 NBA team that you were with was in the midst of of one of the great dynasties in the history of the league, and especially uh, the 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 beautiful game that Popovich and Duncan and all these guys. Uh, put together, and I think it was was it 12, 13, 14, 15-ish range, somewhere around there. Uh, what were uh, what were some things that maybe you took from watching those guys and having a front row seat to this all-time great uh, system that, that came out of this and the way that the guys executed the system? Were there things that you picked uh, from, from Pop and from from his staff and, and the, you know, the Budenholzers and, and those type of guys that you uh, brought in. And what were those things, if you did, what were some of the things that you brought into your own coaching style? It was tremendously influential. Um, you know, I, I, I went there, I was about 50. Yeah, I might've been a little bit shy as 40, late forties, early fifties and spent, like you said, over a decade, um, you know, uh, there. And it probably was my biggest jump as a coach, that I had, uh, it, it, you know, sometimes you hit that age and you're kind of set in your ways and you're kind of, um, you know, in, in some cases looking to, to, you know, just replicate your, your, you know, how, uh, what you do. Mm-hmm. And w- what I was able to do was grow a lot. I think I grew a lot in those years because, it, being up close and watching the Spurs and living in the community, working for the same owners, uh, being able to be around a lot, knowing, you know, all those assistant coaches, man, you could go, uh, you could probably stop seven, eight spots that they were assistants with Pop back then. And so I, and I really knew his staff well. I really, really knew them well. And we even had a little, there were times they, he'd have somebody coming up through his system, maybe in the analytic side or something, and they would share them with me if I would share the basketball with them. And so we, we did a lot of things like that, uh-huh. and it, I just, it just exploded my look at just about every part of being a coach. And the, the, the number one thing that I tell a lot of people is as 
good as their system was, and I think people have tried to replicate it all over the country in the NBA, the truth was, on a daily basis, they were looking for a better way to do it. They were Mm -hmm. open to it. They, They did not say, well, this is how we do it. Now, they, they might say that if they go through a search and, and, and see is there something else and, and find nothing else better, they'd go back to what they do. I think they're, mm-hmm. they're like that. Yeah. But they were not afraid, not afraid at all to, to look for a better way to do something. Mm-hmm. And I, that really, really influenced me um, in a lot of ways. Uh, the way they, they, they teach, uh, the respect they have for the pro athlete. I mean, they, they were the first that I, I would watch them make long-term decisions in short-term situations and survive them. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we as coaches are like, man, we got to win. I got to win today's big game, all those kind of things. But they never, in my opinion, let it ever get in the way uh, of what was right for the long-term success. You mm-hmm. know, what what's going to make us the best in the playoffs? What's going to be the best thing for the career of this player? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I learned that easily and then, and then transferred even into my world. At times, I would I would, would look at decision-making that way. But excellent teachers, they, they taught the game. Uh, and I, I really like that. And I... To this day, I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad they brought me there because uh, it was sure the right place. But I don't know if, if they looked and said, well, there's some things there that make sense to us and brought me or whether I just kind of morphed into kind of the way they were. But either way, those those that decade really changed my ability to coach basketball. Mm-hmm. When you were talking about the, the, the weighing the short term versus the long term, was it things, you know, obviously Pop is known for, you know, kind of the uh, the godfather of load management is what we call it now. But was it also things like um, player rotations, uh, systematic things like we're just going to tinker with this rotation for three or four games and see how Manu handles this or. Uh, what were some of those things that 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 you saw there? That could you could you be a little bit more specific on that? Well, I'm, you know, uh, all, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, take Manu Ginobili. I, I'll give you a good example. Yeah. Manu Ginobili, easily one of their best uh, superstars. You mm-hmm. know, but. At, at a certain point, Pop decides, you know what, we're going to bring him off the bench, okay? Mm-hmm. And not because he's doing anything poorly or like that, but just, you know, the, I think this would work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and there's a great example, and, and, and work it really did. And he, he had the type of culture where he could ask a superstar to do things and he had the type of trust that that superstar would say, okay, not, they may not, that may not have been exactly what Manu wanted. I, you know, I don't mean to speak for him, but my sure. guess is he had enough trust in the team and, and they, they were very good about having good teammates, you know, in that world. And I've certainly tried to do the same thing with my world, but mm-hmm. uh, there's an example, you know, they all of a sudden, he comes off the bench it makes them uh, incredibly impactful now uh, in those minutes and it turned out to be a brilliant decision but you know to convince the player that this is the right thing uh, that could not have been easy but pop looks outside the box sometimes and and if there's good reason for it you know he you know he and good reason would be that the team benefits. Mm-hmm. He's he's messaged that a lot through the years. Mm-hmm. You uh, you mentioned uh, one person already, Don Staley, who everybody associates her now with with South Carolina and the Olympic team and winning a national championship there. But a lot of people don't remember that she was a hellacious point guard who was tremendously talented as a player as well. A a, a trend center in the game. So you've been fortunate to work with her 
And and then you also your your point you mentioned your point guards. And one of the point guards that you worked with in San Antonio, most specifically, was Becky Hammond, who probably has a great op- a chance to be the first female to be a head coach in the NBA. What about those two women in particular? Uh, sep- you know, has has made them the coaches that they are today, and and so nor- so noteworthy and so important to the game. Well, the, the first thing is, you know, they 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 really are students of the game of basketball, mm-hmm. and, and that and that's really quite true. And, and you know, they 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 were very uh, smart about the game of basketball. But what separates them? What truly separates them? is they learn to communicate to their teammates and then that's a natural process to learn how to communicate to your players as a coach. Uh, Becky Hammond was incredibly brilliant and, and it was a brilliant before I ever coached her one play. I, mm-hmm. I coached against her for eight years and then I coached her for eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, she was, it's a lot more fun coaching her. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I would she, imagine. Yeah, she, she was defined when she got to me. I, I, I think we helped her career, but Becky was, you know, knew the game of basketball uh, the day I, the first day I coached her. But what she learned to do was communicate to her teammates. What she learned was how to understand the art of teaching uh, within the team. And so now, as they transitioned, and, and Don did the same thing. Don was very much the same way. Now they, they transition into coaching, and now they're ahead of the game mm-hmm. because it's not because I've, I've employed and started an awful lot of coaches on their way, but, but they're ahead of the game because they understand coaching is teaching, and they understand the art of teaching a little bit from their time as a leader on the court. So now that they, they that just moves them along in the coaching profession. You know, even greater. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I really enjoy watching Staley's teams, and obviously she's she's recruited very well at South Carolina, and she's got great players to coach. But she does some really nice things with her groups, and and uh, you know, I'm just a basketball nerd anyway. So I and 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 I'm partial to Becky Hammond just because she's a you know she's from my somewhat neck of the woods. I grew up in Iowa, and she's a South Dakota gal, so. I, I think they're both fascinating studies, and, and uh, they they have completely different backgrounds, but they've both made such a, a name for themselves in the coaching ranks, but done it in, in different ways, but doing it the same way as well. If that if that entire statement makes any sense to you, Coach, I apologize if if that was just gibberish. So, <laughs> no, I, I, there, there's a reason why I'm still coaching at 65. Is because. You know, God has, has, has taken people through their through my career, like Don Staley and Becky Hammond and Sue Bird, and uh, oh my gosh, Susie McConnell Serial was my second one. She's another Olympian, and mm-hmm. so many other good point guards and so many other good students of the game. That you know, that that's how you have a long career. If, if the minute we coaches think it's about us. I'm here to tell you, <laughs> <laughs> it's totally about your players. And, you know, I think we can screw up players sometimes, but I also think uh, players are the reason we're successful. Yeah. My uh, my friend Matt Fritchie, uh, he famously told me one time, and, and this has been replicated in many ways, you know, it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jills and the Joes. And yeah. I, well, let's talk about Coach Fritchie, you know. I have a little story for you. Oh, okay. Well, anything we can bring on about Matt Fritchie is, is a good thing. Well, I think the world of him. Oh, he's a great uh, guy. Yep. My daughter got married and married a, a uh, navigator in the Air Force and was stationed in Omaha. Okay. And she got a job at the high school. Coach Fritchie was the, the basketball coach at. At Bell West, and, yeah. At, at, yeah, exactly. And she coached volleyball and actually became the head volleyball coach. Sarah uh, okay. Bear was her name. Uh-huh. And uh, she worked with, with and loved him uh-huh. and loved him. As a matter of fact, I know coaches returning back uh, somewhere uh, to be an athletic director. He just took a job. Grand Island uh, Northwest. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. But we, we learned to love Omaha. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, she, my daughter had a condo there and my wife and I and my son was younger then and we'd come visit and we just loved Omaha and this, she has since moved and, and is, is, is actually here in Ohio with us, uh, with her four kids and her husband stationed here. But, but anyway, Coach Fritchie was, I've watched him coach and, uh, it, it just a, a real jewel in the coaching profession. Yeah, he is, and and he is so well respected and well connected around the state, and just a, a genuine, genuine guy. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, you know, everybody loves Matt. He's he's a great dude. So, um, did, did you get a chance to go to the zoo on one of your many visits to Omaha? I did not. Oh, okay. Yeah, my my wife did. Uh, I'm sure my daughter did, and uh, but. No, I did. You know, when I was there, I usually was. We were going to a game or something, and uh, my my daughter became the head volleyball coach, and I went to several of her games. And mm-hmm. uh, but it, it, I did love going downtown. There was a phenomenal record. I'm, I'm a vinyl kind of guy, and uh, a great record store. And I can't remember. The name. I'm sorry. Is it Homer's? Is it Homer's? Could could have been. Yep. That sounds right. Yep. That sounds right. Yep, been there. I, and and great cafes and and she, we just had a ball. She lived downtown and uh, and we, we actually played an exhibition game at Century. It used to be called Century Link. I don't know what it's called now. But, I think it. I think uh, it's still Century Link. Yeah. Yeah. We we played Bill Lambert. They, uh, he was at Detroit at that time, and I was at San Antonio. We mm-hmm. played a preseason game there at Century Link. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful facility and. You know, uh, they pack it for Creighton games, and uh, yeah, it's 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 an awesome place, and um, yeah, that that downtown. We love the old market. I, I miss going down there. Um, you know, like it's, it's it's it's. I wish we could get back to to doing things like that and having fun with that stuff. So, uh, sure. Um, well, let's co- let's talk about your philosophy a little bit more here, Coach. A little bit more in depth, and you kind of referred to it a little bit. Uh, the art of teaching. Let's go there, and and uh, you know. What what is your definition of the art of teaching? How do you see that? I'm just going to let you to uh, go ahead and riff here, Coach. Well, I think it goes back to you know training. You know, I, I started at 22 as the youngest head high school basketball coach in Ohio, and uh, not far from where I, I I now have my my home in the off season. Um, but I, I I was formed by being a head high school coach at a young age and having to get players in the right spots. So philosophically, you know, what, you know, I, I, you know, I like pick and roll basketball. I like a lot of things, but what drives me is putting people in a position they can be successful and being good at understanding what they can do and what they can't do. And then as a teacher, being able to figure out how they learn, Uh you know, um, I don't think I'm the brightest basketball coach on the planet, but I'm about as good a teacher as anybody, male or female in the world. Uh So, you know, what I do know, I think I can share. Uh Uh, and and I think that, that it's really if you're really going to share effectively, you got to figure out how people learn. You got to figure out is it repetition? You know, is it verbal? Is it analytical? Is it a combination of things? Is it you know all those kinds of things? You know, how can you make sure you're on the same page? You know, with uh, with your player. You know, in regard to that, and I think. You know, that's, to me, the art of teaching, it has started from me trying to understand how to do that to a point as an older coach, me trying now to take and develop leaders within my team that do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they some, some, some players will naturally gravitate to that. You know, others, you got to kind of, in some cases, help them understand, you know, how to communicate with their team. Mm-hmm. And that that has been more of where I'm at, probably in the latter years of my career, 
or early in my career, I, I was learning how to how to reach this high school player that uh, maybe maybe had uh, an instinctual approach. You know, other people have a more cerebral approach. You know, they you can talk to them. Uh, others are by repetition, you know, and then the light comes on and things like that and and studying, learning. And I, I love those classes in, in college, to be honest with you. And, and, I, and I still study the coaches as much about how they do things as, as to what they do, mm-hmm. you know, how, how they, they reach players, you know, and, and in regard to it. And then I think um, – Switching over to older professional players, you know, and and even on the women's side, uh, a little. What I've sensed is they're they're just like men, except that there's even more verbal learners. You know, if you're a good communicator, I think you've got a, a, a good head start in in reaching your player in regard to that. But that that's a little bit of it. You know, I, I've become a big uh, believer in journeys. You know, I I think that if, if you are alert with your team and you're talking about the things you're going through, oftentimes you can learn a great great deal, a great great deal by by the the reality of what the journey is teaching you. And I've never been a person that's been real good about just well, we're going to win a championship this year, and you know, on day one, and I'm saying you know. I want it known we're winning this championship. Like to me, I, I, I've never been one of those. I've been more like, hey, if we're going to be champions, then we got to on a daily basis do the things the champions do. Mm-hmm. And I've been much more about that. And then letting the journey kind of get us to a point where the habits we've developed are now in a position to win us a championship because we're at that point. But. That, that that's that's a lot of the you know and a lot of it goes back to I think being a teacher you know I come from I'm married to a music teacher I see me in my heart I, I I am a teacher you know that's what I see coaching as if you ask me to give you another word for coaching I would say teacher yeah and the basis of of any good teacher is a good lesson plan on a yeah and and what they do there. Uh, Obviously, as coaches, our lesson plan is our daily practice plan. Uh, what is what is your process of, of putting together a really good coaching, or I'm sorry, a, a really good uh, practice plan to put those logical steps in place so that you have another step towards the end of your journey? Well, the, the process has kind of evolved to right now is normally – Take week when I finish practice. When I am done with practice, um, I usually spend a little time on the court talking to players about things. I'll usually swing by almost every assistant that I have, and, and I'll, it, it, normally we, we share a little bit of reflection. So the first thing is reflection in my process, uh, and I will typically go get alone either in my office or I'll I'll, I'll drive home or whatever I'm doing. And I will reflect a little bit on the practice. I'll reflect on what was told me by mm-hmm. players, by uh, assistants. And I will put down a tentative practice pretty quickly in the afternoon. I, 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 I typically practice from 11 to 2 or something like that. Sure. You know, so I'm, I'm there from 10 to 3 or something. But I'll, I'll, I'll kind of reflect and put down a tentative practice. And there are certain things I do just about every day. Like the most of us, and, sure. But then I'll I'll put it down, and then I send it out to my staff, or even occasionally the key players. I'll will send it out, uh, and I'll kind of see what comes back to me, if anything. You know, mm-hmm. does somebody say, "Hey, coach, I think we should work on half court here," or or whatever. You know, wh- whatever comes back to me the rest of that evening. And then I wake up in the morning, and normally I work out uh, on an elliptical about seven o'clock. And I will will redo the practice plan, either make changes or adjust it, or whatever, or maybe even I've thought of some things or something. But but 
between seven and eight that morning, I will then send out exactly what we're going to do. And that, that's mm-hmm. the process that I tend to go to go by. Uh, and and, and I, I like feedback from people around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like it. And um, after, you know, I'll, I'll get a little bit, I'll put it out, I'll let people sit on it a little bit and respond to me. Then the next morning, I will now, now after having that process put together what we're going to do and then I'll meet with my staff usually about an hour before practice and we just talk about the administration not so much about what we're doing we, we, we that that would have been done in prior moments a little bit more of the administration of the practice how, to, how you know you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you highlight this because I like to use my staff a lot mm-hmm. how do you get that feedback from your players um you know, is it, is it just building those relationships, building that trust? Because uh, so, sometimes uh, as a high school coach, I feel like, we, you know, we ask the players what they think and they'll say, oh, you know, this is this, everything's fine. This is all good. But then you find out that they're not thinking that way. And it's like, well, I asked you, but you didn't tell me. And, you know, how do you how do you gain that trust to to get that feedback from your players so that it's 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 open, it's honest, uh, but it's constructive as well. And it's not just. Uh, you know, a, a negative. It, it, it can go from something that's intended to be positive that turns into that. Unfortunately, may sometimes turn into something negative. How do you how do you how do you build those relationships to get that? Feedback? Well, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I'm, I'm dealing with much older people. Sure. I'm dealing with people that are in their 20s and 30s, and their basketball and life experiences are greater. So, and I get that. But back to your question. I think sometimes uh, you've got to have a sense about talking to a player. Uh, sometimes they give it to you by their body language. Sometimes you have to understand how to kind of move the conversation to a point where they'll talk to you um, in a way that uh, – and, and, it, and it's harder because their, their influences are – different you know mm-hmm. they might have, have a parent they might have uh, a peer different things like that they're, they're not a long life's journey as much as people I deal with but I do remember getting key feedback and, and sometimes it's where you approach them how you ask the question uh, putting them in a position where um, you know you're able to listen to what they say without necessarily uh making them feel like they're throwing uh you know a curveball they're Mm -hmm. they're just talking to you you know and in some ways so it's a straightforward fastball direct conversation hey do you like do you like the idea that we're working on this yes or no Mm -hmm. you know and that that those are those are things because even to today, some of the players I have, some of them are, are not as good about, uh, they're quieter and they're instinctful, but I can still get good feedback from them. It's just, I, I, I can't leave the question as open-ended, you know, yeah. are, are you comfortable if, if I uh, just have you flash in that situation? Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Because I've tried to coach instinctful players uh, well, and I think I have, but uh, some players are instinctful. Some are a little more programmed where everything's got to be thought out and you just got to develop ways of communicating with both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how do you develop, uh, your, your roster in the sense of, of player development in, in your situation? Do you guys have a, 10 or 11 players on your, on your active roster during the season? We have twelve. You have twelve. Okay. Uh, you know, how do you develop your your individual players? What are some things that you guys do? Uh, because you know, you have you know, in a typical competition, you're going to be playing eight and a half, nine players. So you're going to have two or three players. Like if in my situation, as you well know, as a high school coach, well, players nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. If we want to give them minutes, we get them minutes in the JV game because they're probably not going to see a lot of minutes in the varsity game. Uh, you guys are different in that way, uh, you know, because obviously you don't have any JV games or anything along those lines. So, how do you put together a plan to develop all the players on your roster? Well, 
fortunate. You know, I, I, I have a coach who is charged with player development mm-hmm. and I empower the heck out of him, you know, or, or through the years, whoever took that position, they knew, uh, I, I want them to be aware of the things that we saw as strengths and weaknesses and what we as a team were working on, but I kind of gave them freedom to uh, develop relationships with the players. And it, it when, right now, you know, I may have players that are closing in on 40, and I might have players that are 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And the workload, it's very, you need to make it appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, I plan the practices for the veterans, but I plan the player development for the younger ones. And mm-hmm. That they know that they can do more work before or they can do more work after, you know, in regard to what they do with those players. Um, the veterans, but I plan the practice for the veterans. I, I plan with them in mind uh, as far as that and then use the player development to to complement that mm-hmm. uh, with those players. And, 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 you know, I think in a lot of cases you – like we just, I don't know, about two weeks ago, went through what would have been our roster if we were playing. And I went through every single player and I talked about some of the strengths that I see, some of the areas that that I'd like to see them step into with more confidence and be able to do. And and then, you know, I've got good people around me that just kind of kind of build on what they're doing with those players from that in a lot of cases. And I, and I'm around, I, I, you know, I mm-hmm. watch, I'm not, I'm not there 24 seven, yeah. uh, through everything. So, Cause it's, they're, they're getting work done without me. And, but, but I do make them aware, like, like we had a player, her name was Mercedes Russell. We picked up, uh, right at the start of the season at two eighteen, and, uh, out of Tennessee, had gotten cut, but we liked her and we brought her on. Um, and she was, came in and we started, you know, she was probably one the 11th or 12th player on the roster, not getting in until the very end or those kind of things. Yep. But she was, she was working on a daily basis, you know, and we made it real important to her that this was her game. Her game was those workouts, you know, and in the practice, and all of a sudden, you know, I kept started getting feedback from people. Hey, she's, she's coming. She's really, you know, people around me were telling it about my staff. And then I could see it coming. And even though she really didn't play a great deal of minutes on that 218 championship team, we knew she was getting better. Yeah. We knew it. We knew it. And then last year we went through a serious injury. We lost Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart for the whole season. Yeah. All of a sudden, she evolves from from that position to a starter at, at the center, and and in my opinion, was probably the most improved. Even though she didn't win the award, she probably should have in the league. Mm-hmm. And she, but it all started the year before, as she kind of got into that player development mode and just got better and got better. I just didn't get her to the floor in the first year. I we got her to the floor in the second year. And, and that's an example, I think, of how uh, the practices are for the team and kind of veteran-based. But the pre- and post-practice, that that is very much for the players. Uh, and, and, and we do coach players 1 through 12 with the same vigor. I just don't yeah. play them the same. But yeah. I, don't, I, I think my team would tell you I coach the player who plays the least amount of minutes as hard as I do the players who play the majority of minutes. And I think that's that's so important to to chemistry and, and culture development by not just focusing on Stewart or Sue Bird that you're going to coach number 11 and number 12 the same way because at some point you've got to anticipate that number 11 or number 12 is going to get their number called. Now, the way you had to go about it was not the way you wanted to go about it, but you, you were prepared for that situation when it came around as best you could. Yeah. And it, and it paid the evidence. I mean, we were 28, and 26 and eight, I think the year before with the championship. And then we go through serious injuries, uh, and season ending injuries, but that team,
team last year went 18 and 16 and went to the second round of playoffs with players that really uh, were part of that player development mode. Mm-hmm. And our people, uh, Ryan Webb heads, heads it up and Noel Quinn was, was with me and, and Crystal Robinson the year before. They put a lot of time into those players and pretty profitable time when you look at what they did with those increased minutes because of the injuries in 219. Yep, yep, absolutely. So, well, I hope everybody, A, hopefully we get you playing pretty soon, and B, hopefully everybody's back and healthy and ready to play with your entire roster because it's a, it's a great team to watch when they get going on all cylinders here. Um, yeah. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, Coach, uh, you're a big stat guy. And and you talked about the four major stats that you look at uh, on a on a when you're when you're getting when you're evaluating your team. Uh, could you go into that a, a little bit uh, and and your reasons for it uh, and and why you've you've kind of settled in on those four major areas of of statistical analysis to help shape your uh, your what you're going to do with your team and what you feel like you need to emphasize. Well, if you, if you look at as you prepare for teams to play, uh, and I'll be upfront, as much as film is helpful and all those things, the, the one thing I can't live without is, is, a, is a statistical analysis. You know, I want to look at the box score for the season. I want to look at the last three games they played. I want to look at the last time we played. I want to look at that. Because all the impressions I get from watching film need to be substantiated by the numbers. And that's just kind of how my head works. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly mathematical. My sister is a math teacher, and I probably should have been. Uh, but <laughs> uh, anyway, the, the, but what I wanted, and I wanted the ability to talk to the team after the game, and, you know, a lot of us will watch clips or parts of the game. And nowadays, players, they rewatch the game to see themselves almost immediately mm-hmm. in a lot of situations. But I wanted to be able to to be able to talk to it statistically to the team. And so after every game, we would meet uh, and I would get up and I would say, OK, and we use four factors and four factors that we have settled on. Uh, are pretty common, but uh, effective field goal percentage, you know, effective field goal percentage takes in the three-point shot as a measure. And we use that offensively and defensively. And, you know, initially I I talked to the players about numbers, tried to get to educate them, and didn't find success with that. What I found more success was me just saying, okay, we were excellent. You know, we were poor. We were average, you know. Here's what we did. Here's where our average is, and here's the league average. But we look at an effective field goal percentage uh, after every game, both for ourselves and and for how we guarded. Okay, mm-hmm. and then I would try to make sense of why some of these things happened. You know, if we weren't good getting through screens, if we didn't do a good job of moving to basketball, what have you. But that's one. The other is, is turnover percentage. Mm-hmm. You know, not not only us, but our opponents. Like last year, we had to create a lot of offense from our defense. So we had to turn people over and be disruptive because we just didn't have firepower in a lot of situations. So we talk about that and, 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 and to just try to make sense you know, that, yeah, you know, we only had 14 turnovers, which is our average, and and our percent of turnover was this. So so we, we and it, it, it allows me to talk defensively, but it allows me to certainly talk offensively, you know, in regard to it. Then rebounding percentage is, is just a constant stat that I hammer mm-hmm. a, a great, great, great deal about and you know what percent of the rebounds are we getting you know what percent of the rebounds are they getting you know and then i can equate to blocking out or i can equate to an aggressive nature or i can equate to how many you know rebounds our guards are getting and things like that and then and then the last thing to me is and it's huge because mm-hmm. it's I've noticed this through my career with my teams, not only in Seattle, but in 
San Antonio for sure was the free throw percentage. What, what, per, not, not how many we make, but how often do we get there? Mm-hmm. How often do we put our opponents there? We, we are a team that I, I am not one of those coaches that find any value in fouling. Uh, and, but I need to get our team to the line. Mm-hmm. I need that we separate through my years in two factors. We, we shoot to three. Uh, better possibly than our opponents, and we get to the foul. Th- those two things have been really uh, key. So those are the four things that I talk with, and I also w- would say, you know, and again, I tried to teach them about offensive efficiency numbers and defensive efficiency numbers, and they they just kind of looked at me kind of blank. But then when <laughs> I started saying, okay, you know, we were – and I'll still use the numbers. You know, we, we were a 1.2 on offensive efficiency, which is excellent. Mm-hmm. They, they, they gravitate to my description of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I come across. But I, we, we've done that for every game the last two years and just try to make sense of the outcome that we're dealing with and uh, the reality of, of what those numbers tell us. Yeah, I think it's, like uh, if you were to use this in a high school situation, you know the kids understand A B C D F, uh, and I think that might be uh, you know as I looked at your stuff, that was something I locked in on. It's like okay, yeah, you just A, you know, from here to here, you qualifies as an A, and here to here, it qualifies as a B, yeah. and, and that would be if you're if you're you know the high school coaches that are listening to that, that's an easy translation for our kids yeah. because they live with it on a daily basis for seven hours a day. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I just stopped trying to, to teach math and, and, and <laughs> more just, just tried to teach English, so to speak in good, you know, uh, those, those markers that we all use to kind of, uh, know where we're at as far as, uh, successful accomplishment. Yeah. Um, well, I, I want to put a quick plug in for you, Coach. Uh, the the reason why we got together on this uh, was you, you have a video on championship productions called Characteristics of a Championship Culture uh, that I watched, and um, there's so many good things on there. It's about an hour long, and your 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 breakdown of your, your standards and all of those things, I want you to know that I'm going to take that and bring that into my practice plan on a daily basis because I thought you just uh, took so many things and you narrowed it down to these 12 to 15 ideas and kind of split it half and half for me anyway uh, for um, here's what we should look at for what we're doing for the team and here's what we need to look at as far as our coaching and our own philosophy and so coaches that are listening to this I highly encourage you to go to championship productions and and spend a little bit of money on the the characteristics of a championship culture with coach Hughes it was the one that you did uh right when you got back from the the worlds i believe it was the 2018 worlds and uh just a terrific video and i just want to thank you for for taking the time when you had to be exhausted to put something together like that cuz i thought it was just a brilliant presentation and uh you know just you know man to man here I, I thought you know that's something i'm definitely going to implement into my practice planning on a daily basis what you put together with that video well perfect it was uh, you know it, it, it's kind of funny that uh i feel like you know i'm 65 and i still feel like i learn almost every day mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I, I hope i don't ever change that and um so, you know, the, the journey has been one with me that a lot of people have have uh, contributed to. And if there's some way I can pay back to others, you know, that's why almost every day, you know, we're talking today, but there's hardly been a day in this isolation that we've dealt with that I haven't talked basketball in the afternoon. Because I, I think people did it for me, and they certainly helped me. And it has certainly helped me, and I, I, I get as much out of these conversations as hopefully people do at the other end. But I appreciate you saying that. But I, I want to be somebody who uh, grows the game, 
mentors the people I'm around, uh, rejoices in their success. Uh, because that's how I'm going to spend my twilight years is actually kind of enjoying people that have, that, that I've crossed paths with along the way. Yeah. Well, you are a terrific ambassador for the game. Your career speaks for itself, the influence that you have. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled to pieces that, that you got back to me when I reached out to you and, I just want to thank you so much for your time here today. Uh, it's been a terrific conversation, and I hope you've enjoyed it. So I, I have. Well done. And, and uh, I am looking for my next trip to Omaha, so God bless. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, Coach, if you can hold the line just one second here. Uh, yep. Just got to wrap up a couple things. Uh, again, we want to thank COSAC Chiropractic, our sponsor for the pod. Uh, uh, if you're in need of chiropractic services, coaches, if something bad happens to your back here and, and on your next visit to Omaha, don't hesitate to reach out to Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi. And the number is 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Uh, download, rate, and review the pod on SoundCloud or iTunes. And of course, uh, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. This has been Dan Hughes, the head coach of the Seattle Storm of the WNBA. I can't thank him enough for his time today. Coaches, stay safe and as always, continue to hone your craft one day at a time.